Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. I know this may sound weird here in opening a message on Easter Sunday, but I think... When God looks down from heaven, in a sense, a lot of the world looks like a cemetery to him. Because I think God sees a lot of spiritually dead people. About and above every corpse, you know, they have those tombstones in the cemeteries. And they have the little saying and epitaph on them. And I think... What could be written on that epitaph for so many is just three words. Dead in sin. Because the world without Jesus Christ makes me think of what is probably the most popular television series in all the world and on cable. And it's called The Walking, The Waking Dead. See, I can't even get the title right. It's the, is it The Walking Dead? It's The Walking Dead. Okay, that's what I thought. I just want to see if you're paying attention. See, because honestly, I don't watch the show. I don't watch the show. I've never seen an episode. I've seen some of the trailers, the previews, whatever, because I can't stomach the show, literally. So I don't watch. So I did some research, though, on the show. Want to know what I'm talking about? Seems like it takes place in some zombie apocalypse world. Okay. There's a sheriff there. He finds himself, having been in a coma, wakes up in this zombie apocalyptic world, not knowing what to do. He sets out to find his family. And after he's done that, he gets connected to a group, and they name him his leader. He becomes the leader. He takes charge. He tries to help the group survive. And this show is, is apparently, from what I can gather, about doing stuff and things you have to do to stay alive. But what's interesting about these zombies, and I know some of you will correct me afterward if I get any details wrong. I I don't know someone named John Mark. But is that they're, these are living, breathing creatures, and they're known as walkers, right? And they're they're mindless, and they're empty, and they're they're devoid of life, resembling a real life in any real sense. And in a parallel situation to what we're talking about today, I think every living human being in that world, they carry a zombie pathogen or a virus. I think people that are the walking dead in this world, we carry a virus. It's kind of like that. So what happens is these zombies are the walking dead. They turn into zombies when they die, and they have a big appetite. That's the part I can't see. Okay, they get hungry, and they want to eat people. (laughs) However grotesque those creatures are, and they are, I gathered that, they parallel, in a way, people, I think, that are lost without God. I think people need a resurrection life, a new life. And they need to come out of that zombie world. And they need to be walking alive, not dead. Would you join me in prayer one more time, please? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, Lord. Open up our eyes and our ears to see and hear the wondrous truth that's in this word today. May we apply it. May the Spirit make it it meaningful to each and every person 
in the way that it would have the most meaning to them today, Lord God. Do a work that only you can do. Bring to life that which is dead. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be a pleasing sacrifice to you now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage of scripture in Ephesians 2 comes from a scripture that's really meant for Christians. So we can better understand who we are. It's kind of like what I would call the inside story of the Christian life. It's about the believer's identity. It's about how and why we became to be who we are today. And to do that, the Apostle Paul uses this really great analogy of life and death to teach the truth. The aim here, the big idea for you, if you're listening here today, carefully at what God is saying, you need to ask yourself, where am I in this? Am I the walking dead? Or am I the walking alive? And am I okay with being the walking dead? Do I want to do something about that? Do I no longer want to be a zombie kind of a human being, as I'll describe? And you're going to have an opportunity before God to do that today. So we're going to break this down two ways, actually three. We're going to look at your death, we're going to look at your life, and we're going to look at your resurrection. And we're going to start by looking at your death in the first three verses. Now, this passage with these three verses, the first three verses is one sentence from Paul, and he's laying out the spiritual condition. So you understand this. He's laying out the spiritual condition of people that do not believe in Jesus Christ at this time, and that they therefore reject God in their lives, whether they consciously know it or not. So unbelievers may be living and breathing. You know, those zombie creatures in that show are. They live, they breathe, but they're called the walking dead. And the Bible describes a people like that as well. So we're looking at the death of someone that may not yet know they're dead because they do not know Jesus, meaning in a personal, relational, salvific sense, meaning the sense of knowing they are redeemed, they're escaping judgment, and they're on their way to heaven. And the way Paul diagnoses this spiritual condition of the dead, like a doctor, he gives us at least seven marks of the walking dead. Follow with me again. I'm going to read verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. And Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We can stop right there. Past tense, you were dead, he says. So Paul's writing again to people that have already become Christians. They've moved on. They've passed on from death to life. The Lord's resurrected them spiritually, just like he was resurrected physically on earth about 2,000 years ago or so today. Right? It says there, in which this life you once walked. Now, walked means to live in Bible talk. Lifestyle. You know, you talk the talk, you walk the walk. Refers to how you live. And just like Jesus raised Jerry as his daughter, other people have died and been raised or resurrected in the Bible. I think about the child that God used Elijah the prophet to raise in the Old Testament, among others. But again, what Paul's talking about here is a spiritual resurrection that takes place in the life of a disciple or a real heaven-bound follower of Jesus. But to be raised, now it's important, to be raised, you have to know you're dead first. That makes sense. How so? Well, 
in what way are some of you dead? Or one of you, at least, in this room today. Well, there's a big hint in the next phrase here of this text. Kind of sets the tone for the idea about dead people walking. Because it's the result, it says, of being in or by trespasses and sins. Trespass is an old word we don't use today. You know, you see the signs, do not trespass. And what that means is, literally from the Greek language, means to offend to cause an offense or to, or to fall away from the truth, okay? We all know what sin is, which is to miss the mark. That's the most common term used for it in the New Testament. But let's define here death. Again, death is to be absent from life. Physically, we can figure that out. If you're a dead person, physically, you have no pulse, you have no heartbeat, you're not breathing, you have no brain waves. Okay? The idea is separation is a big part of this. In fact, spiritually, we believe your soul departs from your body. There's a separation there. And in this context, Paul seems to be saying the walking dead have no spiritual heartbeat. They are separated from having a relationship with God. The walking dead don't really care about the things of God and this kingdom. In fact, one of you in this room who is walking dead, you may already be tuning me out. You may already be thinking, okay, here comes the Bible thing, the gospel talk. And may I just add, these people were born dead. So I hope you're paying attention. Because it says in the middle of verse 3 that it's the nature of people to be dead, to be this way. The Old Testament in Psalm 51 says, I was brought forth in iniquity, it's another word for sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Oh. In the New Testament, it says in Romans 5, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, it's talking about Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So here's, here's a heads up for you today. Amongst many, what this is saying, in other words, is you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you already are a sinner. It's your nature. It's who you are. Remember the zombies? Right? They have this lethal virus. We have one too. It's terminal. It's called sin. For some of you, this may be a hard pill to swallow because some of you might be in this room thinking, I'm not really dead. I'm not dead yet. I mean, it's not my fault. My parents messed me up. My school messed me up. My home environment. My job. My spouse. And on and on and on. Those can be contributing factors to being messed up. But the reason that you may be among the walking dead is because of you. Because you're born a sinner. you got a problem. And the problem isn't around you. It's in you. And this is a difficult truth, but it's clearly what God says in his word. In the Old Testament, some prophets referred to people in this condition as having hearts of stone. Stone is pretty dead. It's pretty solid. You're born that way. Now, you might say, well, if I'm born that way, Pastor Bernie, it's not my fault. God made me that way. And... You may have a point there somewhere, but you still willfully are sinning against God every day. And by the way, I'm going to tell you how God fixes that birth defect in a moment. 
But let's continue on. Let's look at the next symptoms of the walking dead. Let's pick it up in the middle of verse 2 to verse 3 again. You once walked this way, talking to these Christians, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, here it is, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You are in, if you're the walking dead, you're walking in the course of this world. Or you could say the age of this world. You could translate it that way. Or like the old song goes, the way of the world. Unbelievers, what they do is they just follow the lifestyle of other unbelievers in this way. It's the prevailing system of the unredeemed world. Okay? It's, it's its philosophy, worldview, and every one of you in this room have one, whether you know it or not. The world works a particular way in your mind. And the word for world here in the Greek is the word cosmos, where we get order. In fact, what's the opposite of cosmos? Chaos, disorder. So we're talking about the order, the way in which things are. And people who are the walking dead are under the satanically organized system that hates and opposes everything that is godly. Whether you know that or not, now you might be thinking, to yourself, asking yourself, well, wait a second, doesn't God love the world? Right? John 3.16, you guys love that verse. God so loved the world. Yes, that's true. In the sense, he gave his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to die for sinners. God loves people because they're made in his image. That's true. But how does God really feel about the world? And this system, this order, I would direct your attention to 1 John chapter 2 if you're taking note. Or you can just write it in the margin of your Bible where you're at. That's always a good thing to do. 1 John 2, this is this apostle writing this first letter to the church. And he says this, talking to Christians. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. For all that is in the world, what is that? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You can stop right there. God hates the world system, the way people think in it, okay? Now, what is that system? What is that course or way of living? Well, it says lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Before we get into that, let's, let's go back to what Paul is saying. He's saying who's behind it. Let's know who's behind it first. Who's the master of this world? Feeds the system. It says here the prince of the power of the air. A prince literally is a ruler, is a commander, this person is. And in power speaks to his authority. He's got some authority. Now, who is the prince of the power of the air? Why the air? Well, we get a hint. There's a few other people besides the prince that are like this in Ephesians chapter 6 at the end toward that chapter, talking about the whole armor of God and all of that. And Paul also says, therefore, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He's talking about spiritual warfare. Here it is, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are demons he's talking about. Who's the ruler of the demons? Satan. 
He is a powerful, prideful, fallen angel who rebelled against God and took a third of his little minions, dominions, and demons with him before this world was even created. That's who we're dealing with. Satan, Lucifer, if you prefer. He's got a number of names. He is, first and foremost, a liar and a murderer. In fact, 1 John 5 tells us the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Wow. He rules the air. Now, what does this mean by air? Some about space? Outer space? Some people think Satan's the prince of radio and TV airwaves. Well, they may have something there. There's a lot of garbage on the internet and videos and broadcasting. I think there's something to that. He influences all of that for sure. But there's more. His, his influence is far-reaching. That's what it means, the air. He, he's ubiquitous. He's, he's everywhere all over the place. You can't escape his influence like you can't escape the air that you breathe. And that's where this is going. So people who are really alive, they understand the walking dead are not too crazy about you. I have to tell you that. That's true. Jesus told his people in John 15, the world hates you. Because it hated him first. And listen, we need to get serious about this person named Satan. He's not some mythical character like some people would like to think. He's very real. Jesus thinks he's real deal. We need to be aware of him. When Jesus, in fact, this is how serious it is. When Jesus was correcting some Jews, the religious scribes and Pharisees in John chapter 8, they were messing with and debating with Jesus about his identity. He said this about these people, these walking dead people. John 8, 43 and 44. This is Jesus. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. That's not a crowd-pleasing, crowd-building message. Jesus has just told walking dead people, your pop is the devil. Do you know that? Because you do everything he wants you to do. Why? Because he's the prince of the power of the air. He rules thinking in this system. So if your father is the devil right now, you are the walking dead. And the next thing he says is, they're also sons of disobedience, which is an ancient way of referring to somebody that habitually did something. You might be called at that time a son of righteousness, a son of kindness. Here it's disobedience. You're a son of disobedience to God and his gospel. It's a person that's consistently being hostile to the things of God. He put it this way, Paul did in Colossians 1.21. It's being alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. In fact, I'll go one further. A son of disobedience, according to God, in Romans 8, is incapable of obeying God. Because they're a son of disobedience. In Romans 8, it says, the mind that is set on the flesh, meaning their humanity, their fleshly carnal desires, a person set on their mind to that is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Ooh. So this is a pattern of life for the walking dead, folks. Same letter here, Ephesians chapter 5, tells us, and God's wrath and anger, his righteous judgment is on people like that. How else are the people the walking dead? 
They once lived in the passions or the lusts, their flesh. They're carrying out, doing the desires, the pleasures of the body and the mind. And, of course, they were by nature this way. In other words, people that live lives that are just marked by self-gratification, lust, hungering, craving for things. And you know what the big three are, right? Because Satan uses these. Money, sex, power. Those are the things that walking dead people happen to like the most, generally. And it's their nature to do so because they're wired that way. They're unregenerate, lifeless people who are walking dead. Jesus refers to them further as people who loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So a big distinctive in the difference between these two kind of people is what a modern translation of the Bible says, all of us, meaning Christians, used to live that way. So that's a look at your death. Now let's look at your life. Now I'm going to give you some good news in verses 4 to 7. Are you up for that? Because what we just heard is kind of tough. Verse 4 starts, but God. Oh, that's good. But God. Because that marks a massive, life-saving, life-transforming difference here in the lives of people. This is talking resurrection we're going to see here. Verse 4, listen to this again. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Woo! So we're going to look at your life now. And a great life that it is if you're in Christ. Here's where we find God gives people life. He's the one that raises them from their spiritual death, and he seats them or puts them in heaven with him. That's how the walking dead finally come alive. Okay? This is a life, by the way, as Brother Jesus reading the scripture this morning said, this is a life that's not achieved, it is received. It means receiving God's grace. So we're going to break this down a little bit because it's life and death stuff here. It says God is wealthy. He's overflowing with riches, with his mercy or compassion. You need to know what that means. A lot of people, how many of you have watched one of those commercials on television? They're like 90 seconds long. They feel like 15 minutes long about the really poor person who's overseas and needs things. And you, it's a gut-wrenching feeling that you get. Literally, for an Old Testament Jew, when you had that gut feeling, that was called mercy. It was a sense of compassion, pity towards someone. Well, God feels that about dead people he makes alive. And I think that is so cool. It's an undeserved kindness for sinners. So do you know what God gives people that he saves? He doesn't give them what they deserve. That's what mercy means practically. It means not getting what you deserve. What do sinners then deserve? Death. What's another way for saying death? Hell. Judgment. Eternal condemnation, which is where, by the way, the walking dead are going if they stay that way. Hebrews 9.27 says it this way, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That means everyone in this world who's ever been born and dies without Jesus really dies twice. Once you die physically, then you die spiritually. 
The real you, your soul, separates from your body and dies forever. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not even one. None does good. And then three chapters later, it says the wages or the payment or the penalty of sin is death, which means separation from God forever. That's the penalty. Now, you might say, that's well, you know what? That's really unfair. You know what my response is? No, that's justice. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. Justice means getting exactly what you deserve. If you're the walking dead and you don't care and you're going to hell, no worries. You're getting what you deserve. You'll worry later. I'm sure. Whereas the difference with Christians who are born again, they become alive, they get mercy. So they're born twice and they die only once. Physically if at all. So the greatest news in the history of the world is in the beginning of verse 5, going to the middle of verse 5 again. Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He regenerated you, quickened you, just as God the Father raised Jesus the Son on that first Easter. He raised you from your spiritual grave. You know what a great picture of it is? We share it in our church often. Jesus and his friend Lazarus, the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. Lazarus is dead. His sisters are like, Lord, if you'd been here on time, you would have been able to heal him. Jesus let him die there on purpose to show him what was to come. What does Jesus do with Lazarus? It's the same thing he does with everyone in this room who's a Christian. Lazarus, come forth. He got up, grave clothes and all, walked right out of the tomb. If you're a Christian, that's what you did spiritually. Insert your name blank, come forth. And you did. That's salvation by grace. Romans 4 says it is he who gives life to the dead. This is a grace gift. Did you see what it said in verse 5 again? Made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Grace is the word synonymous with Christianity. Your redemption, your salvation is made possible by your faith, but it comes by or from God's grace. Remember I told you mercy means not getting what you deserve? Grace means getting what you don't deserve. It's the other side of that coin. You haven't done anything you don't look good enough, as beautiful as so many of you are dressed on this Easter Sunday. God didn't look down on you one day in eternity past and say, you'd be really, you'd make a good person to have in heaven. I think I'll save you. You had zip to do with it in that standpoint. It's by grace. Grace, by definition, is something that you don't deserve. It has nothing to do with you. We don't deserve it as unforgiven sinners. I want to show you another dimension of this walking alive. If you were to go to John chapter 3, and of course John 3.16 is in there. Everyone knows that chapter. A lot of people have read it, familiar with it. Jesus is talking to a walking dead person who doesn't think he's walking dead. He's a man named Nicodemus. He is a very bright, well-mannered, well-ordered guy, member of the Sanhedrin. On the outside, all the Jews thought, he's the man. He's got it. 
Listen to what Jesus tells him. John 3, 3. Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 7. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Interesting. God does it. That's what this means. The Holy Spirit of God moves, calls on people, and gives them new life. This is why the Apostle Peter said it is God that causes you to be born again. For those of you that don't have a, much of a church background, you may have a bad connotation with that born again phrase. You know, you see some kind of a celebrity in Hollywood and they've had this born again experience and all of that. That's not a cultural name that some Baptist church minister made up. Jesus did. He said it. You have to be born again to enter or see the very kingdom of God. And then, really, verses just 6 and 7 just reemphasize this truth and all the blessings, elaborating on all the blessings that come with it. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When you get saved, when you are in Christ, you get peace, soul satisfaction, deep joy, regardless of circumstances. Now... And forever. Now, you might be thinking, okay, that sounds great. There are people that are the walking dead. Bernie, I get that. There are others that are born again and they're made alive by God. I get that. They're rescued from the dead. Do we do anything at all in this at all? Do we participate at all in our salvation? I'm going to say yes. Third and lastly, right here, let's look at your resurrection in verses 8 and 9. And then we're done. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You've probably heard that passage somewhere before if you've been around a Christian for any length of time. Those two verses are a game changer. It's one of the most often quoted, critically important texts in all of the Bible. And it's meant for everyone in this room who says this, walking dead, me, I don't think so. I think I'm going to heaven when I die, I'm pretty sure. Why? Well, you might say, I believe there's a God. I watch a Jesus film at least every other year around Easter. Right? I've read some of the Bible. My parents raised me in a good, godly home, a Christian home. My grandparents were Christians. I come from a long line of Christians, which is the Old Testament Jewish idea that you somehow inherit faith. Or I'm a good person. I'm better than most. I don't even watch The Walking Dead, which I could raise my hand to. Or another person, I'm a religious person. I don't curse most of the time. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't date people who do. I'm better than most and I've never committed a major crime lately. So I'm in, right? I'm good with God. God's got to be good with me, right? No. That's the talk of someone who's walking dead. Those two verses 
that I just read you kill self-righteousness, kill religiosity, pride, tradition. Because there is nothing that anyone in this room today can do in and of yourself, any way, without Jesus Christ in order to be saved. In fact, Jesus rebuked, which is an old word for told off, a bunch of people like that, really moral people on the surface, for thinking that would do it for them. In fact, in the New Testament, it says, no one is justified or made right before God by the works of the law. So then, okay, how can we be saved? How is it that I can get to heaven when I die? Do I have to pray something? Does someone have to pray for me or light a candle? I'm going to be honest with you in the answer to this question. What I'm going to tell you is going to be hard for several of you. It's going to be easy to understand the words, but for many of you it's going to be hard to believe hard in the sense of how you have to act on it, all right? Why? Because if you're walking, and if you're sitting dead here right now, you know who you are, probably. You're physically alive, but this gospel message I've been preaching to you may have sounded interesting in parts to you, but deep down, it doesn't really mean a lot to you, because your heart is stone cold, like the Old Testament said. You're listening to the words I'm saying, and you get them, but you don't really understand it. It has no impact on you right now. And it may never. And I hope and pray that's not going to always be the case for you. If it is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you that if you're the walking dead and you remain that way the rest of your life and you don't care, well, you're going to go to the place where the walking dead go forever. You're going to walk, you're going to live in hell forever. As Jesus said this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's serious business. However, big however, if God has done or is doing a verse 5 work in your heart and he's made you alive, then here's the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? You ready? You ready? Here it is. This is for you. Amen. Faith in Jesus Christ. Look at the beginning of verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith is synonymous with the word trust. Faith means you're convinced. You have a conviction deep down in your heart that everything the gospel says about Jesus Christ is true. You're confident in the truth about who he is, what he did alone to save sinners on the cross, to forgive them of their sins, in order to make them right with him by faith, right with God. In other words, you just have to do this. Repent and believe. By faith, it means you're committing to turn away. That's what repent means. You're making a conscious decision, commitment in your heart, to turn away from your old sin, your old self, which is the life of the walking dead, by the way, to God, and you trust in Jesus. Like the Lord said, whoever wishes to save his life, meaning the physical, shall lose it, which is eternal. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it eternally. Mark 8. That means you're just putting your life back in his hands. Right? In fact, this kind of faith I'm talking about, it is essential 
to the new birth and being made alive. 1 John 5, 1 says it this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's how you love your brothers and sisters in the church, because you already love God. You love Jesus. You've been made alive. So he puts that together. And it has to be that way, this faith, folks, because of what verse 9 says. Because grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift, right? Not a result of work so that no one may boast, so that no one may brag. Again, faith is not a religious work. You don't have to be religious to be a Christian. There's nothing for you to do because Jesus did it all. The Psalms even remind us if we're going to boast in anyone, it should just be in God. In fact, verse 9 even tells us by that word this, in that phrase there, this, the grace, the faith, the salvation, the faith, is even a gift of God. He even gave you the faith to believe as a gift. In fact, like the old hymn goes, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. So, as we close, there's, there's, there's no reason for anyone in this room to think God saved you because you're something that you are, something that you've done. All you have to do, people, one thing, just believe, trust in Jesus. Simply put, again, what is our part in finding the way to salvation, to being resurrected right now, moving from being the walking dead to the walking alive? It's what Romans 10 tells us. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and been raised from the dead. You will be saved for everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. In fact, the way I'm going to close is with a quick little story from Numbers chapter 21. I was reminded of this having seen again for the 57th millionth time the Ten Commandments last night on TV. But you may remember the Jews after four centuries of slavery, Moses, by God's grace, delivers them. And they're in the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. And, you know, I guess we would have done the same. Talk about discontented people. Where's our three hots and a cot? Why don't we get a menu? Why is it always manna? Why is it always this? They, some of them even said, why don't you send this back to Egypt so we can eat better as slaves? That's amazing. And it says, they're in the wilderness in Numbers 21, that there's a bronze serpent going to show up. It said, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and by the way, I don't have a picture of it, but that is where we get the symbol for the medical perfection, profession, the serpent on the pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That bronze serpent God used to save a lot of people thousands of years ago. Why do I bring that up? 
Because Jesus brings it up to talk about himself and his cross in John chapter 3, where it says there in verse 14, and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Is anyone here tired of being a zombie? Amen. If you're tired of being a zombie in this room today, the walking dead. Let's do business with God. I mean, does anyone here want to live? I mean, live, really live, today, forever. Then let's pray. Join me in prayer. Lord God, your word says, Lord Jesus, that the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. Lord, I pray that you will give life to dead people today. You make them alive. Give them the faith now, Lord, where they would repent and believe. They would turn to you and trust in Christ alone to save them from their sins. They would be forgiven for their sins. They would have peaceful, joyful, abundant life, not only here, but forevermore, no matter what goes on in this crazy world, Lord. It does appear to be in some ways like an apocalyptic zombie-like world. Lord, save someone who's in the walking dead today and make them alive. I pray you would do that. And if you've done that, they would even come forward at some point and before we're done here and say so, and we can pray with them and set them on that course of a new life in Christ. Or they can see us in the fellowship time and we can talk with them and pray about them on how they can know they have been truly made alive, that that old nature has been crucified with Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us. We pray these things, and everyone here said, Amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on our ministry, please visit our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. 